morning. And uh, I welcome you with a holy uh, elbow pound and uh, fist bump, whatever your preference is. It is really good to be here. It's been a long time since we've been here. Um, uh, Jason, thank you. Uh, that's uh, awesome, uh, your testimony. Testifying what we're seeing God doing, and Jess, uh, thank you. That's beautiful. Um, we are indebted to this church. This is, this is uh, our sending church, actually. Um, uh, I'm indebted because over 40 years ago, there was a young girl that got involved with this uh, the youth group that was here um, back then, and she didn't know the Lord. She came sort of seeking, and, and uh, some people within this church befriended her, loved her, some leaders um, sewed into her life, and uh, try to help her to understand the grace and the truth of God's love for her through Jesus Christ. And um, back in 1979, while on a youth retreat at Saratoga Bible Conference, um, my wife Beverly uh, went out in the woods alone with Jesus and gave her life to, to him. And um, that was the result of the work of God here in this church. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and thank you for the ways in which you've continued to sow into the lives of young people. Uh, and then uh, 37 years ago, um, God called me into ministry. I thought it was only in the last year or two or maybe three. Uh, and uh, so I met with the missions committee uh, of this church. And I asked if, um, if they would begin to support um, my work through University Christian Fellowship. And, um, and, and they said yes. And that was 37 years ago. You have been supporting uh, our work, and so faithfully. Um, and um, I'm looking out, and I'm seeing a bunch of faces that I don't know. And I'm also looking out and seeing a bunch of faces that used to be in the pews here. Um, I see them, and, uh, and I appreciate the work that they have done, and I appreciate the work that you are doing, being faithful to the gospel. Uh, 36 years ago, don't worry, I won't go through all of the decades, but uh, 36 years ago, I was standing, I think it down there, watching uh, my bride come down this aisle. And uh, this is where we got married. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just uh, the prayers, I remember prayers that were prayed for us. And, and I'm here to say, 36 years later, God has been faithful, and he's answered the prayers. Um, so, guys, thank you. Um, thank you for the ways in which you've been with us. Um, the journey, it's not over. <laughs> so, uh, thank you, though, for the ways in which you've been with us so far in this journey. Yeah, to God be the glory. <clears throat> um, so, uh, I have not met most of you, um, but uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I actually I know something that's true about you. Even though I've never met you before, I know that it's true about you. I know. With a high degree of confidence. Uh, and this is what I know about you. I know that you don't always get your way. <laughs> is that true? Oh, yes, yes, yeah, it's true. So, right, I don't need to be a prophet to know that about you. You don't always get your way. And I also know this about you. You don't always like it when you don't get your way. <laughs> Is that true? 
saved. Yep. Each of us, um, each of us, we, we come with a will. We come with opinions and ideas. And, uh, and that's fine, but we also happen to live in a sea of others with a will and with other opinions and other ideas. Now, when these wills and these opinions and ideas, when they, when they align, oh, life is good, right? But when they don't line up so neatly, uh, it can uh, lead to disappointment and frustration and, and anger, actually, bitterness, rage. It happens all the time. Uh, I have a little um, example. So every May, uh, I go away for two weeks to a conference that InterVarsity sponsors. And we're um, uh, students from 70 colleges throughout New York and New Jersey. They gather. The mornings come early at this uh, conference, beginning with staff meetings. The days are full with content and meeting with students. And because this is a conference fundamentally designed for college students, the nights are late. By the time bedtime rolls around, I am ready. <laughs> but every year, uh, on the last night of each week, other staff, most of whom are by far, you know, at least half of my age, insist on having a late night staff party. <laughs> with the expectation that staff would attend. Now, I've expressed my opinion over the years that I think it would make more sense for this staff party to happen at our annual staff conference in August when there aren't students around and when the schedule's not nearly as full and we, we can sleep in a little bit more. But as you can probably guess because I'm using this story in the context of not always getting your way, my opinion, I am assured, is respected and heard. <laughs> but um, once again, this May, I will be attending a conference, and once again, I will be expected to attend a late-night staff meeting um, at the very end of the week. And um, I welcome your prayers. <laughs> <clears throat> so that's a little example of how I don't sometimes get my way. Sometimes the consequences of not getting our way are, are relatively minor, like that one. You know, maybe missing out on a few hours of sleep once or twice a year. It's not really a big deal. But sometimes it, it actually is a really big deal when we don't get our way. <clears throat> Some of you... Uh, I'm going to guess, know what it's like when your boss gets their way and you are shown another way right out the door. Some of you have experienced that, and that hurts. Some of you don't get your way when your spouse, when your spouse took a different way and didn't invite you to come along. Painful. Some of you have been actually waiting for God to open up uh, a door for employment. And all you keep getting are dead ends. Too many, perhaps even in this room, 
know the pain of being violated emotionally, physically, and sexually by someone who forced their way upon you. And as a result, it feels like you have lost your way. What do you do when you don't get your way? How do you respond when you don't get what you want, what you need, or what you feel like you deserve? What are we to do with our emotions when we feel rejected or ignored or underappreciated, abandoned, abused, unloved? So this morning, we're going to be looking at a case study. We're going to be looking at the life of Joseph from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis. And we're going to be doing this with a hope that we will grow in our ability to trust God even when the circumstances, our circumstances, suggest otherwise. Because Joseph was all too familiar with not getting his way, with not getting what he wanted. And yet, as we will see, somehow through it all, This man was able to trust God as as his way maker. So let's pray. So Father in heaven, um, we are thankful that you are with us in this journey. That you will never leave us nor forsake us. And that we can hold on to that promise. So, Father, I pray that you would encourage my sisters and my brothers here this morning um, to not give up on you, because you will never give up on them. And, um, Father, for those who are here who have yet to respond to your grace and your truth and your love through Christ, would this be the day of salvation for them? Uh, We commit the rest of our time together as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so, many of you, I trust, are familiar with the story of Joseph, but I'm also going to guess that there are several of us that are not. And so, let me just give you um, sort of an overview. Um, the poor guy who's going to be, right? is there a PowerPoint? Maybe not a PowerPoint. That's good for me to know. Yeah, so, that's really good. Don't pay attention to the screen. <laughs> um, Okay, so uh, Joseph, uh, he lived uh, between the time of Abraham and Moses. And he was uh, the great-grandson of Abraham, the grandson of of Isaac. Joseph's dad, Jacob, who became also known as Israel, had 12 sons and one daughter, Dinah, by four wives, Leah and Rachel, and their maidservants, Bilhah and Zilpah. And then to complicate this Interesting family even more. Uh, Leah and Rachel's, Rachel were sisters. So there are nice family trees, and then there are family bushes, as we know. Yeah, right? So this family, I mean, if you try to like map it out, it just reminds me of like an overgrown field of thorns and thistles. Um, it's a mess, this family. Uh, and uh, so you think you got it bad, uh, Joseph. Oh my goodness. So the story of Joseph's life, it's told in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, uh, chapters 37 to 50. So there's like 13 or 14 uh, chapters devoted to this individual's life. We get introduced to Joseph 
uh, in chapter 37 with verse 2. So you can follow along uh, if you'd like to uh, in your Bible. Genesis chapter 37, verse 2. <clears throat> Joseph, a, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. <clears throat> and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him a richly uh, ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. While your sheaves gathered around mine and, <clears throat> and bowed to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers... His father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him because his father kept the matter, but his father kept the matter in mind. So Joseph, uh, Joseph started out life working for his dad on the farm as a shepherd along with his 11 brothers. Joseph's story begins with him tattling on his brothers, as you can see uh, in the text. We're not told exactly the nature of the bad report that Joseph brought to his father concerning his brothers. Because later on, uh, we see in verse 14 uh, in this chapter, that Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers and the flocks uh, against his... Um, uh, that, that his father sent him out to check on his brothers... Suggests to me anyways that his father was not convinced that his other brothers were the most reliable shepherds. And, and in fact we have reasons to believe that they were not reliable shepherds. Joseph though was reliable in the eyes of his father. And this is the reason why Jacob sends him out to check on the brothers. And... Um, and he brings back the report of, of, what, um, of what he sees. And it's a bad report. Any scorn that they have, may have had for him turned to hatred after um, this account of the dad making this special robe for Joseph. A sign, an indication of just how very special Joseph was to his father. That's all it was. This, this robe, this richly ornamented robe, was uh, now worn by Joseph, only confirmed suspicions 
of their father's favoritism. And, and maybe some of you can relate to this, but, but from that moment, it would take another 24 years before the brothers exchanged any nice words to each other. 24 years. To make matters worse, in verses uh, 5 to 11, Joseph had these two dreams, which clearly pointed to a day when he would be actually in a position of authority over his entire family. And not surprisingly, um, especially if you have siblings, you might be able to relate to this. Not surprisingly, these dreams and their interpretations only added rocket fuel, right, to their uh, white-hot jealousy and hatred of Joseph. Even his dad, who loved him more than any of his brothers, rebuked him for his dreams, thinking it crazy that someday this young kid would rule over him and his entire family. However, in verse 11, it says that his father did keep the matter in mind, suggesting, I think, that perhaps Jacob did have some idea um, that God had something to do with these dreams. Now, as often happens... Jealousy and hatred turn violent as the story of Joseph's life continues. In verse 12, we see that one day his father sent Joseph out to check on the welfare of his brothers and the flocks entrusted to his care. And after traveling about 50 miles uh, by foot, he finally made it to where they were supposed to be in the rich pasture land of Shechem. Uh, and that's where his father had sent them and where uh, he had assumed that they would still be. But in fact, as you read the passage, you see that they're not in Shechem. They're in Gotham, another 15 miles uh, to the north. And so Joseph uh, ends up taking the extra trip and goes up to Gotham. And it's when the brothers see Joseph that rather than running up to him and embracing him and saying, oh, younger son or brother, it's so good to see you. No, um, they, um, they actually begin a plot to kill him. Now, um, as you can see in the passage, that it's thanks to Reuben, the eldest uh, brother, that they agree actually not to kill him uh, with their own hands, physically, but instead to throw him into this dry well um, with the hope that he would just eventually succumb, right, to the heat. Um, of the desert sun. Reuben, however, had his own little secret plot to rescue Joseph and to return him safely to Jacob. So they dispose of Joseph, and immediately after doing so, what do these men do uh, after working so hard of picking up their brother and throwing him into a cistern? What's the first thing that men do after hard labor? They eat. <laughs> this is what they do. They say, hey, let's eat. Uh, so they, they begin to eat. And as they're eating, this convoy um, of trading merchants pass by en route to Egypt from, uh, from the region of Gilead. And one of the brothers, uh, one of Joseph's brothers, either moved by greed or guilt or both, I'm not quite sure, they persuaded the others to sell Joseph into slavery. And after pulling him out of the pit, but before handing him over to the slave traders, they took Joseph's robe from him and used it as central evidence in their lie to their father that Joseph had been killed by these wild animals, the story they were making up. As Jacob mourned what he believed to be the tragic death of his son, the caravan made its way to Egypt, where, except for a very brief return, 
nearly 30 years later, to bury his father. It's where Joseph spent the rest of his life in Egypt. And so ends um, the very first chapter of Joseph's life. How about that? It's the beginning of a life. When we review this story uh, that begins here in chapter 37, there's quite a few people that are involved um, as the story is told. Of course, there's Jacob, and there's the, the two wives that are mentioned, Joseph, our main character, and his brothers. There's this man um, in Shechem that tells about where the other brothers could be found. There's the trading merchants that are heading to uh, Egypt. There's Pontifer and Pharaoh mentioned. But did you notice in chapter 37 who's actually conspicuously not mentioned? God. God is specifically not mentioned in, in uh, chapter 37. Not once. Actually, is there any hint of Jacob or his sons like praying to God, listening for his voice and waiting for him to speak and then responding faithfully? There's none of that. And so... So as a result of this absence, right, um, jealousy turned to hatred, and, and the hatred turned violent. Because without God's intervention, without us responding to God in his voice, in his will, and his purposes, uh, sin in our hearts and in the hearts of others always grows, and it overpowers humans. And we see this lived out every day. But... Let's be really clear. Uh, God maybe wasn't mentioned in this chapter, but God is very present in this chapter. Joseph's dreams, what were they? They were prophetic dreams given to him by God. Yeah, of course. Th through his dreams, God was speaking and giving guidance and wisdom to Joseph. God was the one who was protecting Joseph, all along, preserving his life. Why? To accomplish God's purposes, even in spite of the destructive plans of others, including his own brothers. God was also protecting his brothers from taking Joseph's life, an act which surely would have resulted in further judgment and hardship for Jacob and his family. Though God is not specifically acknowledged in this chapter, there was plenty of evidence to see God at work. For he, as, as their way maker, was being faithful to his people. It's also interesting that though this chapter centered on Joseph, um, Joseph really actually doesn't say very much in, in this account. In fact, if Chapter 37 were a play, uh, Joseph actually would only have four lines, and, and uh, two of them, um, uh, only actually one of them, with only had two words in it. So a very minor role. That like, that'd be like the perfect lead role in a play, you know? You get all the glory and yet only four lines memorized. That'd be really good. All right, so I digress. Um, it was Joseph's actions, though, right? Not his words, his few words. It's his actions that revealed his ability to see uh, God as his waymaker. 
Though he was ridiculed by his brothers and rebuked by his father, Joseph never recanted the dreams the Lord gave him. Would have been tempting, but he never did. Even though he knew of his brother's hatred toward him and the potential harm that they could inflict on him in, uh, out in the desert, he actually was willing to walk those 65 miles to check in on his brother's welfare in obedience to what his dad asked him to do. I think that was actually a risky move on his part, but he was willing to do it because he trusted God. My friends, believing that God is your way maker today means being willing to trust him even when he appears to be conspicuously absent. That's what it means to trust him as your way maker. And somebody needs to hear that this morning, even when he seems conspicuously absent. Imagine how easy it may have been for Joseph to lose sight of God when disapproved by his, be disapproved by his dad, bullied by his brothers, thrown away like waste in a well, and sold into slavery. And that's just what happened to him in the first chapter of his life. Knowing that our God is our way maker, our miracle worker, our promise keeper, our light in the darkness... This is what enables us to live according to the truth of God's word and his promises. Even in uh, the, the midst of disappointment, even in the midst of pain, rejection, abuse, suffering, persecution, injustice, and any other experiences that we have to endure. So a little over two years ago, I went to the doctor which, with what I thought would be a routine visit. And I ended up having to call my wife during that routine visit because of what the doctor was about to tell me. So two years ago, I was diagnosed with diabetes. Something completely off my radar. I don't fit what I thought was, you know. And... Uh, very, very difficult news. Um, this being diabetic, living with diabetes, living with this disease is not something that I wanted. It's, it, it's not something that I want. And I would love, of course, probably some of you also would love to wake up uh, some morning and to find that you've been miraculously healed. That would be a really good thing. But in a way that is, um, I tr I've tried. I've tried to explain this with words, and I cannot. So, but some of you will be able to connect. I know. Um, actually, this whole experience has drawn me uh, to be much closer to the Lord than when I knew perfect health. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's increased my faith in him. As my way maker, my miracle worker, I uh, 
I never wish diabetes upon anyone, and I encourage you, I encourage you, I encourage you to take the best care of this one body that has been entrusted to you as you possibly can. Stay away from carbs. I just encourage you, be the best manager of the body that God has entrusted to you. But I am actually very thankful, honestly, for the daily reminder that I have because I get to live with this disease. That my life does not belong to me. Yeah, yeah. It's been so freeing. I'm so thankful that I have these reminders every day. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. And that this life is not about me getting my way. Because I won't. This life is about Helping him get his way and, and helping him get all the glory and honor and praise. Uh, through, um, throughout Joseph's life, he became very familiar with not getting his way. And yet, uh, he consistently trusted God as his way maker, even when his circumstances suggested otherwise. We don't have the time this morning to dive deeper into the life of Joseph. So instead, um, God provided a very convenient overview of the life of uh, Joseph through the testimony of a man who was about to lose his own life. And it's found in the New Testament. It's found in the book of Acts. Stephen, before he was stoned for his faith and become the first known martyr, he gave the people that were had rocks in their hands, a summary, God's faithfulness to his people and also to him, even though he was about to be stoned to death. And a part of that testimony, he includes this about Joseph. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and so made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our, that our, and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers, that's the brothers, on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers, who was with him, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent uh, for his father Jacob and his whole family, um, and there were 75 in all, and this is now the beginning of the Israelites in Egypt uh, that eventually became slaves. So two years after Jacob and his family moved to Egypt to be under Joseph's care, Jacob died leaving his 11 sons alone with Joseph, who is now the second in command in Egypt. The dreams had come true, just as God had promised. And they were now at the mercy of the little tattletale that they had once taunted and teased, the one that they had plotted to kill, but instead sold into slavery. You can imagine what it might have been you know, it might have felt like to be them in this situation. So near the end of Joseph's life, he was able to look back on all the rejection 
all the insults, all the abuse, all the false accusations, all the hard things that he endured, he was able to look back at it all, and he was able to begin to make some sense of it in light of God's faithfulness. We're going to pick up the story at the very end of, uh, near the very end of the book, ja- uh, Genesis chapter 50, beginning with verse 15. Genesis chapter 50, beginning with verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent this word to Joseph, this made-up word to Joseph. Uh, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of God, uh, of the God of your father. And when their message came to Joseph, he wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what he is, what is now being done, the saving of many. And so then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Hallelujah. Joseph, a remarkable servant of the Lord, he consistently trusted God even when circumstances suggested otherwise. Thus allowing him to see how God was actually not just his own personal private waymaker, but the waymaker for his family and for all those associated with his family down through the generations. When we don't get our way, and we've established that we all don't get our way, we have a choice in every time we don't get our way. Will we respond by trying to take matters into our hands as Joseph's brothers repeatedly do right up until the very end? Is that the way that we will respond when we don't get our way? We're going to try to take matters into our own hands. Or will we, we're going to place matters into his hands. We're going to take matters into our own hands. Or are we going to place matters into his hands? That's a decision that we get to make multiple times per day. (laughs) Before you leave today, you will probably have opportunities. Yes, because we are a sea of people with ideas and opinions. Taking matters into our own hands, placing them into his. These are the two choices. And of course, it's the hope. It's the prayer. It's what God wants for us. That even when circumstances suggest otherwise, even when we don't, the song says, even when we don't see or feel him working, that we will learn to more consistently place matters into his hands. Um, Our way maker. He has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. This is the one that we know and love and worship. And this is the one who said, I am the way. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes, no one comes to the Father through me. And until that happens, 
he will never stop working for you and for all those in this world that he loves. So, Father, Holy Spirit, um, would you help us to live true to your word? God, it's really tempting to, to respond the way that the world does when we don't get our way. When bad things happen. And we take our cues from the ways that everybody else reacts. God, we pray that in moments when we don't get our way, that we would take our cue from, from Jesus. Um, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Um, Jesus, thank you for being faithful to the Father. Um, we can only imagine the suffering um, and the anguish. But we're thankful for your faithfulness and we would pray as your followers that in this time and in this generation, um, God, that we would be found trusting you as our way maker. And we pray this in your name, Jesus, to your glory. Amen and amen.